Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Good afternoon, Ben. How are you? Hey, man. How's it going, Kyle? Good. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you. It's our first episode, 2019. Yes, indeed. Anything exciting for the New Year's Eve from on your side? Uh, no, I actually hung out at home. I don't, you know, I don't do amateur night. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, we, my wife and I went with my sister and her fiance and one of her friends uh, to one of the local casinos here in Northern California. And oh, yeah. we thought we were going to rock it till after midnight. We were... <laughs> We were back by 1030. <laughs> I think we watched some trailer park boys and then the ball dropped oh, to bed. There we go. So, yeah, I pretty. Just, I, yeah, it's the one night, you know, this night and uh, and I and and um, and I would say St. Patrick's Day where people go out and, and let's just say tend to make bad choices. I just don't go out. I just stay home. <laughs> yeah, I've, mm-hmm. I've never been one to really do much for St. Patty's Day and even yeah. New Year's. It's never. Yeah. Been too crazy so uh, now if you give me a bunch of firecrackers on the fourth of july we're gonna well, there have we fun. go we're gonna yeah. have some fun so <laughs> but, well hey i think we need to introduce ourselves absolutely i am kyle anderson the half first half of the beer edu podcast you can find me on the twitter sphere at anderson edtech and then i also have my blog AndersonEdTech.net, and then I actually published my first video blog. I did see it, yes. My YouTube channel, so right I'm on. plugging that a little bit as well. So, and then Sweet. my partner here, Ben, yep. take it away. Ben, ben Dixon, I'm the other half of this podcast. You can find me on Twitter at bdixonnv. I also have a blog, bdixonnv at wordpress.com which sadly I was looking at has not been updated in a while, but, but I got a plan. I'm working on something right now. Don't call it a resolution. Yeah, no, 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 not calling it that. So, but yeah. So, Hey, let's start. Kyle, what are you drinking? I just got back from the store and picked up a Northern California local brew called Hexahenia IPA. It's by Fall River Brewing Company. This is a 7.1% abv and it is 68 ibus it's a really just a solid fruity piney northern california american style ipa i mean there's nothing and there's nothing special about it there's Mm -hmm. nothing like terrible about it by any means it's just a solid beer just one that uh the bomber cost me like four dollars okay was very inexpensive that is and it's just a solid beer and the artwork's on it it's really nice too it's got a picture of a cutthroat trout going after a mayfly on it so it's a oh cool solid beer so and i know you got something good in your hands too all right so i my beer is a um a classic i feel you know the sierra nevada celebration it's one they do every year every year is a little bit different tastes a little bit different um it's uh i wouldn't call it a uh a typical holiday beer. It doesn't have nutmeg or all those flavors that you might get in like uh, the Jubilee or something like that, but it's a good IPA. Um, it's a little bit heavier than a typical IPA, um, but it's definitely something, you know, with the cooler weather, if you're having a nice steak, um, a nice hearty soup, I, I think it's, it's a perfect beer for that. So it complements those things. You know, you just did something we've never really done on this podcast is started to pair beer with food. Oh, <laughs> something that. I think in the future we may have to start doing a little bit more. That's, so, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, because I, I mean, I, I do certain beers with certain food. Um, I mean, I enjoy all beers and I enjoy all food, but sometimes some things go better together. So that definitely was one that that I think I think that one's one of my go tos when the weather's cooler. Definitely. So, well, normally this is where we would start going right in and talking about whatever we want to talk about, but today. We actually have a very special guest that's going to be on the podcast yes. with us. So, and unfortunately, Ben, you're not going to be able to stick around for this. Nope. So, we'll pick. Up, I'll pick up with you on the other side. But um, I'm going to sit down with our guest here uh, yes. in a few minutes, and she's going to talk to us about all sorts of fun stuff. So, um, I, I'm I, super excited to hear what she has. Absolutely. So, so Ben, I will catch you on the flip side and then for everybody else, stick around for our special guest. Right on. 
Hey, so welcome back. Here we are. I am sitting here with our very special guest today. Unfortunately, Ben's not here with us, but uh, sitting next to me right now is Christina Mattis. Hey. Welcome. Hi. How Happy are you? I'm doing really well. Happy New Year. You too. Yes. Yeah. So. How was your New Year's? Um, pretty uneventful. People watching at the casino in Reading was interesting yeah. enough to the point we left around 1030. So just not, I've never been a New Year's reveller or whatever the word is for that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We went home to my sister's house. We watched Trailer Park Boys and the ball drop went to bed. How about you? Um, had a very calm New Year's Eve celebration. Actually kicked off New Year's Eve itself with some ice skating with the kids. I saw the picture of that. That was great. Mm -hmm. uh, love doing that. Love getting on the ice and uh, doing some twirls without falling, ideally. Falling is never good. Right. Uh, so did that. And then we celebrated with some friends. Got home at a decent hour and woke up comfy, cozy in our own beds. Had some great breakfast New Year's Day. Sometimes adulting is night. great. Adulting is really good. Yeah, sometimes it's terrible like, when it comes time for the bill paying part of it, but times like this, adulting is a good thing. Exactly. So. so we always, me and Ben, we always are having a little beer while we're doing this. So, And you're no different. I you were sitting next to me right now drinking something very good. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what you have. Um. So, somewhat local from the Bay Area is the Russian River Brewing Company. And what they are primarily known for is Pliny the Elder. It's a double IPA at 8%. And you pretty much can't buy it in stores. And if you can, it's at really limited capacity of what you can purchase. And even if you go to the brewing company itself, they put a capacity on how much you can purchase and i've heard stories that when it comes out there's like lines around the block of people waiting to get it is that a little over exaggerated or i think so around the holiday season they actually decrease the the purchasing limits so for instance around holiday season it's one case mm -hmm. per purchase um if you go to the brewing company okay if uh on just general days it's you can get two cases, which is what I've done in the past, get a couple of growlers. But what I really appreciate about that concept is that it's not out for mass purchase and mass production. And This isn't turning into Bud Light anytime soon. No, it's not. I, I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with mass production. Um, and I, I appreciate the micro brews um, because even thinking back from Chicago and Goose Island and mm -hmm. the 312s or even um, Founders IPA from Michigan, you know, it, it, they're micro brews and it's really great to yeah. actually be able to finally get them out here, out west. But there's something unique and special and, and I, I appreciate those, those right. smaller brews right. um, and smaller purchases. Um, even heading out to different wineries out in our area and it's really nice to be able to get something only at that location um, so I, I appreciate that so that's something about Pliny and Pliny is just a really great beverage it's really easy I mean even though it's a double IPA which sometimes I admit like I there's just no way they're just too strong and, and too robust for my for my taste buds but in in this case it's Easy. It, it goes great with a burger. Great with some fries, onion rings. I'm, onion sucker, for, rings. I'm a sucker for onion rings. So. I've never had the elder. I've had the younger, which you were saying before and we I've got on. I've never had younger. So, so yeah. here in a little bit, I'm going to be sampling a little bit of the elder, and then at yeah. some point, you'll have to try to find the younger then too. So, absolutely. So, and and what about you? What are you drinking? Here? Oh, I'm working on the Hexahenia IPA which is local. local haven't mentioned the fact that we are in we're near redding california near right redding. now um happened to talk to you over the last few days you were going to be passing through like let's record and here let's we are out. so let's talk. Yeah. yeah so uh but ben and i before we got on with you he and i talked a little bit about and i'm i'm still rocking the hexahenia ipa from fall river um which is up near redding yeah. um 
so beginning of the episode gives all the details on it. The, cool. Uh, so the 7.1, the 68 IBUs, all that good stuff. Just a good solid IPA. So, okay. You know, nothing special about it, you know, nothing crazy going into it. Like, you know, some companies are throwing in fruits or whatever. No, it's just a good solid IPA. Yeah. I so, look forward to tasting that one yes, as well. Indeed. So, with some onion rings. With some onion rings. <laughs> I can't guarantee onion rings here, but but we can um, we can definitely look into that. So, awesome. So, million dollar question. Okay. Who is Christina Mattis? Who are you? What do you do? Who do you think I am? Well, right now, I think you're a person that just happened to be sitting at my table drinking a beer right now and getting <laughs> a bunch of questions thrown at you. But, so, but what do you do? What what makes you tick? What's what's out there with you? Uh, um, well, first and foremost, uh, I, I live for my kids. That's first and foremost. They are my... My goal, they're my vision, they're my they're my everything. So whatever I do ultimately is for them. And they are out in my parents' backyard right now, ripping it up with my kids, having a great time. Oh, totally. So. We walked in and they just bolted. They're like, awesome, new friends, we're going to go. So, so disclaimer, if you do hear some noise here in a little bit, the kids probably have come in the house and they're bringing the party indoors. So There you go. Um, yes, but ultimately I, I think... Number one, I'm a mom. It's morals, it's values, it's manners, it's we're going to read bedtime stories and reading not just books. I think there's a, a, a misconception that reading pertains only to books and novels. That's not the case. You can read magazines and journals and whatever else is out there so whatever we can read whatever uh, having dance parties turning on some music and just dancing our hearts out like nobody's watching because nobody really is watching <laughs> and you know so having a great time with them and just trying to realize that breathing I mean let's face it being a parent is frustrating and aggravating but so is the field of education. And so I think about what am I trying to teach? Not only my kids, but then how am I teaching in the workplace and the profession as well? So, so how we'll, does being we'll, a parent, we'll yeah, so how does yeah, being how a does parent really influence who you are as an educator? So, because you are an educator as well. Right, 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 right. Um, so by trait, I am a high school English teacher. That's where, where I started my, my career in. And then, you know, transitioned along the way, and we can talk about that as however detailed you want to get into that. Um, but I would think that I actually became a better teacher when I had kids because I, and it's not to say that you can't be a good teacher without having kids. Um, it just gave me a different perspective. Like it even gave me a whole new perspective on, on homework. I got the fact that, yeah, why would you want to send homework home? <laughs> really? I mean, it, it's a time for families. It's a time for kids. And we can get into the whole idea of, you know, we don't live in nuclear family stereotypes anymore we've got kids in our classrooms who go work a job go babysit their siblings because moms and dads if they have moms and dads or moms and moms or dads or dads or, or grandparents um, working the two three jobs I, we can't assume that kids are going home at 3 30 and that's what they have the time to do is homework so we got that, and even the research shows that homework doesn't add to the academic performance and the academic outcomes that we want for our kids. So I got that, but I didn't fully get it until I had kids mm -hmm. at home because as a parent, I don't want to come home and do more work. I want to be home with my kids. I want to 
learn about what their day was like and practice conversation skills and social skills. I want to have the kids learn what it means to set a table and help with dinner and then clear the table. I want the kids to learn what it means to read with each other and play with each other and learn how to compromise and communicate with each other and not worry about completing a worksheet here or a worksheet there that might end up most likely getting crumpled and thrown away. If it's not going to be applied, it being whatever the lesson is, is it really going to matter if they complete a worksheet? So that really did come through even more so when when I became a parent. And I can piggyback that a little bit too. I became more compassionate and empathetic when I became a parent. Not that I was like just a heartless jerk of a person before that, but after having my own kids, I was able to take my compassion and empathy for my own kids and really apply it to my position as a professional as well. So, exactly. but, um, so you and I were talking a little bit about what really we wanted to talk about ahead of time. And um, the things that you kind of mentioned to me, it was just right away, like instantly my thought for the <laughs> name of this episode is stirring the pot. Oh, because, um, Are we there's some stew? Yeah, well, the, you could chili? call it that. So, because um, one of the things, and this is where the social studies teacher in me kicks in. So mm-hmm. you, had, uh, you and I had been talking a little bit about how um, your thoughts on things like the Pledge of Allegiance and prayer in school. Mm. And this really, I thought was really interesting. I just, I want to dive into that a little bit just because mm-hmm. I want to hear your perspective and then really just apply it to like my thoughts as a person and as a social studies teacher. So, mm. so go ahead, just throw it out mm. there. Wow. Uh, okay. I, I might need some more Pliny. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I've been thinking more recently. Somebody recently had asked me, what do I stand for? And we should all stand for something, right? I mean, it, it, it's wonderful to be appreciative and understanding and accepting and tolerant of a variety of opinions and beliefs. Something that this country is really struggling with right now, by the way. Mm. You know, we won't get into the political aspect of it, but just just the disrespect for people's opinions and thoughts that's out there in the world right now. Mm. So, right. Um, Okay, so thinking about for us as humanity and to be human, I mean, let's face it, we're all going to die one day. We're all True. ending up in a grave site True. of some kind. And um, that's getting morbid, and I, <laughs> I get that. But that's that's for certain. That's our end point. It's what do we do in the middle that matters and, and that counts. And so if we treat each other with disrespect then what good is that? And what what purpose is that serving? And so I think about the various opinions and beliefs that we have, and it's, it's okay to be accepted. It's okay for people to not believe what you believe in. That's okay. But it's thinking about what do we stand for? And so when we have become so understanding and acceptant of others, which I hope we have at some point, that um, have some of us lost our own ways to be confident enough to stand for something. Um, we've got, you know, it, it, we have to be politically correct. Okay. I don't think that that's a term or phrase that we hear often anymore. Because being politically correct just means that we're not actually standing for what we personally believe in. But that doesn't mean that we can't be acceptant of others. So in reflecting on this question of what do I stand for for in in the field of education, for instance, and what I want for my kids, I do think back to what was my education like? don't want to go back to desks and rows and 
<laughs> that that's not where I'm going with education, but it was thinking about what what did I have that was a constant variable in the public education that I received. And in the public education that I received, I remember reciting the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. Every morning. Now, granted, as a, as a second grader, did I know what those words actually meant? Not so much. But I memorized those words. And then when I got older and we actually studied those words and the meaning of them, then that started to resonate more. And what I miss for many of the classrooms and the schools that I see is the the lack of or the the discontinuation of certain rituals i understand that we change with times we modernize as we go and and that's something else that i think eventually we'll get to is educational reform and teacher reform teacher preparation reform um in this conversation i hope if there's enough time but there are certain educational rituals that I think should come back into, into the schools. It, and so thinking about the Pledge of Allegiance, for instance, no matter what religion you are, no matter what race you are or ethnicity, we are all members of this country. Immigrants or not, I think about my family I'm second generation. I my grandparents were immigrants. Like that's we are a nation of immigrants. We can't deny that. We came here and we didn't lose our culture and our values and our traditions from the the homeland, the motherland if you will, because we still practice those on holidays and whenever else throughout the year. But that doesn't mean that we can't or that we shouldn't respect so coming back to this idea of respect respect what this particular country was built on if i were to move to any other country that doesn't mean that i'm ignoring or discontinuing beliefs or ideals from where i come from but it's also showing respect to the country that i'm in and being there um, and being and acclimating and that the the acculturation of of being there and living there so we are we are grounded in, in this amazing array of people living in this country and with that i think back 20, 25 years ago when being politically correct became that phrase that we use so often, it made us afraid as a society. And again, I, I try not to generalize because that's just, you know, a generalization is a generalization. It, it doesn't apply to everyone. But I think that for, the, for a, de a great deal of it, with political correctness, we as a society became afraid afraid to stand for something and so we let go of anything that might and i use my air quotes for that might offend somebody by doing so i i would argue that we have lost something that we stand for and i'd like to see that come back as a social studies teacher by trade I look at something like the Pledge of Allegiance and that's something that I always believe that should be instilled in our students along with other things. Why social studies is so important about molding people into good citizens, molding them into informed voters eventually. And I agree that a lot of that we've gotten away from and it does make a social studies teacher's job much harder, but just a teacher in general, I believe it's just become a harder job as a result of getting away from that so yeah. and a lot of people will also throw in school prayer in that as well so and this is where the social studies teacher in me says like well i don't know about that because you know if all of a sudden 
you're allowing that. Now you're in breach of the First Amendment in ways. So we could debate this for hours upon hours. I, I, well, you had mentioned school prayer as well. I actually do believe in having prayer at school. And again, I think that with discontinuing school prayer, um, I would actually say that's a disrespect to the multiple religions that are in that school, in that district. If we are here to truly value and appreciate and celebrate all the variety that we have in this country, why are we saying no to things? Why not teach each other about each other? One way being, let's pray together if you so choose to pray, right? If that is a belief of yours. We don't want to impose something for somebody to do if that's not their belief. I fully respect that. But to say that, no, we can't pray something in Hindu or pray something in Buddhism or pray something of the Jewish faith or the Catholic faith or whatever. Let's teach each other. Let's share with each other. Let's share our stories. By sharing stories, we grow humanity and we strengthen who we are, not only as individuals, but also as a society and as a community. Community brings us together. Community doesn't have to be a, a homogenous situation. A community can be heterogeneous. Teach each other. Show each other what you have. Sharing stories. Strengthen us. And to put a lighthearted spin on it too, we talk about there's not school prayer right now, but as long as there are tests, there's always going to be school prayer, isn't there? <laughs> to pray for an A. <laughs> there you go. Same so, with sports. Same with sports. So you see hey, it on the field. You see it on the field. And where when I was in high school, I can remember our coaches leading the team in prayer. And I didn't participate because I'm just I'm not a religious person, but I grew up in a town that was probably like eighty to ninety percent Catholic. So I mean, it was kind of a big deal yeah. in my hometown. So but um so really to each to each their own, really. So but the same time though learning about one another that's that's something that we could all benefit from as well absolutely so but wow i i didn't realize how loaded that one was so that was that was great, great way Thanks. to kick this yeah, conversation great. off cheers to that one cheers, yes yes indeed <laughs> maybe we can uh lighten this up with a little something else yes <laughs> so now over the years i've gotten to know you a little bit so you are very tech savvy you're very passionate about technology in the classroom, but you have a very unique uh, view on that as well, on how technology should be used. So mm. um, I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more about that. Um, how technology? Well, so that's... well, let's start a little bit with classroom management. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about classroom management. So, cause I know you get some unique takes on technology and classroom management. So well, I think this actually gets down to thinking about how our site administrators and teachers prepared for, um, for 2019, we are in 2019. We are 19 years into the 21st century. So when I hear something like, we need to prepare our students for the 21st century, we are like two decades in at this point. There's no, it is not preparing for, it's like we're here. Yeah, at that point, we're preparing them for dial up and, you know, yeah. AOL instant messenger at right? that point. And so I think about when it comes to technology in the classroom, technology use in the classroom, technology management in the classroom. Or we can broaden this out to, you know, school, right? Um, teachers who are in teacher preparation programs now are exiting without knowing what digital citizenship is. They exit without knowing strategies on how to manage classrooms with students with devices, whether it's 
one to one, two to one, bring your own device, BYOD. Regardless of the type of situation, teachers are not prepared. And I think to myself, how can that be? <laughs> I honestly, like, why are we still teaching teach preparing teachers and site administrators like it was 20 years ago and i think back to when i was in college through going through my teacher preparation program and i had one class on technology in the classroom and i didn't even and it was i mean this was in 2002 so we're not talking like anything like what we have today there weren't any ipads there weren't chromebooks yeah. i mean you're talking like most schools maybe had a computer lab maybe a laptop cart right. but still we i had one class it was one night a week for an hour and a half and that was all my technology preparation for my teacher prep program was and, and what was that preparation all about it was more about different like programs you can use and like ways yeah, to use see, it it wasn't anything about like you said digital citizenship or classroom management using devices and I mean, we're talking that was, we're in 2019. So that was 17 years ago that I took that course and it still hasn't changed. Right. There are still teacher prep programs out there that are just ignoring that. And they're, they're talking more about, this is how you write a lesson plan. Guess what? I got taught how to write a lesson plan in my teach prep program. As soon as I got out into my actual classroom, yeah. my supervisor had something totally different they wanted me to do. So nothing that I learned about writing a lesson plan ever actually applied. It's all about the, the features and functionalities of a tool and not the application. So we haven't even, I mean, you've got your digital citizenship, your classroom management. We haven't even talked about pedagogy, digital pedagogy. And that's a huge misconception in thinking about personalizing learning with technology or differentiated teaching with technology. Just because you've got one-to-one doesn't mean you're personalizing learning. Personalizing learning means you give the student what they need, and that's where the differentiation comes in. Personalizing learning does not mean putting a kid with headphones looking at a device. A software is not personalizing their learning. That could be differentiating based on what they might need, Right? This kid might need, the student might need this software to help them accelerate their phonics. This student might need this software to accelerate their spatial awareness through geometry. But personalized learning does not mean one student per device with a set of headphones. Right. It's thinking about how are you actually taking those skills and those lessons and bringing it into a real world, real life task that they can apply. I will say, not that I did 100% well <laughs> in my geometry class, uh, you know, when I was a student, but the most memorable unit was angles because my teacher actually took us on a field trip to a billiards location saloon i don't even know what they're called <laughs> but we played pool to learn angles we measured angles and with that that was actually combined with our physics class because with physics then you measure inertia and all the wonderful you know terms now that i forgot them even though they were applied mm -hmm. but it was a really great way to have this co-curricular unit on measuring angles and the speed and the velocity. And it was awesome. It was so cool. And that's what I remember. You went to a shady pool hall and learned geometry. That is Pretty awesome. Pretty much. That is awesome. Pretty much. As a teenager, I it think was about every the... parent's dream to have their student go. And it was awesome. I think about the pool hall in my hometown. And if my parents would have ever known that I had ever gone in that place, they right? probably would have give me a stern talking to it. and yet totally. you took a field trip to one that's great it was it was really great and i remember it because it was combining classes it was combining terminology it was actually applying what it, it was taking what you were reading in the textbook and putting it into real life and another thing kind of going back to the whole you know applying 
digital technology into writing great lessons and differentiating digital pedagogy, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it at this yeah. point. There's so many different ways we can do it. The, the One of the things that this always happens whenever I go to a conference or I present at a conference, somebody I'll always there will say something along the lines of, I don't know how I'm going to implement all this stuff. And where they're thinking about trying to implement as many tools as possible rather than thinking about maybe taking one tool and getting really good with it and applying it to where it's just solid teaching versus just tossing 15 different tools at the kids saying, hey, here, here you go. So, and that's a mindset that's got to change as well. I don't know if it's a mindset that needs to change or a mindset that we can't keep giving into in that there's no one tool that is going to fix it all, whatever it is. And if you think that it's a tool that's going to help you teach, that's a misconception. You have to start with your why. You have to start, you being the teacher or the site administrator, you have to think about what is your, so if you're a teacher, what is your learning objective that you want your students to reach? And think about how can they get there? And and provide them with the the resources and i'm going to use the the word resources not tools but Mm. resources to get there it may not be technology it may not be digital it may actually be something kinesthetic hands-on it might be play-doh for all we know that's going to get them there my buddy john van dusen back in iron mountain kingsford michigan he's a stem teacher and he's teaching coding with his elementary stem kids right now does not have a single device in the classroom he's doing it by doing secret agent coding like writing messages in code that's awesome and that's how he's teaching coding right now with them not because he doesn't have the devices he just wants to get the kids away from the devices a little bit and to think outside the box a little bit more but that's a great example of that where you don't need the technology to do great things right exactly um and i think that we need to So there's a colleague of mine who is working on this amazing pilot with personalized learning environments, but starting with the mindset, essentially, that what does it mean to shift your pedagogy? What does it mean to shift your classroom management? What does it mean to not decorate, but design the physical learning environment? And it's... It's really thinking about getting away from, ooh, I have all this funding to buy devices. No, it's not about the devices. It's thinking about how can maybe those devices enable what you want to accomplish, but not basing it. The device isn't the foundation. The objective that you want to reach is the, is the foundation. Um, so I, and and so I even think about, you know, I keep tossing around teachers and site administrators. It's thinking about with site administrators, what is their vision where they want their school to grow and be in and really taking the, the voice. So I, (laughs) if I had my ideal curriculum, Put in your digital citizenship, put in your design thinking. If you can mash those two up, you'll have amazing project-based and problem-based learning happening. I think about some amazing schools, not just in California, but throughout the country that are really embracing the, the breaking down of grade barriers and looking in. And I do say barrier for grades because for so long, what, 100, 200 years, we've been instructing our students by grade levels. First grade is only with first grade. Second grade is only with second grade. And yes, we have some mixed classes with you've got your one twos and your two threes. And that's awesome. But can you imagine what could happen if you put third grade with fifth grade 
yes, cognitively and developmentally, they're at different levels, but imagine what a third grader can learn from a fifth grader and vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think about teachers learning from students all the time, right? And think about the age span and the cognitive development span. I think about also breaking down the barriers of teaching by subject only. And that's where that cross-curricular comes in and that interdisciplinary instruction comes in. It's not 45 minutes of science or let's say, you know, 75 or 90 minutes if you're on a block schedule. It's what can you do, like I was saying earlier, what can you do with geometry and physics, right? Taking a, a field trip to Great America and studying roller coasters. Um, what can you do with art and math and thinking about graphic design? If you break down the barriers, think about all the life application skills. I, I, I wasn't sure what word I wanted to use. I'm like, application. <laughs> but um, think about the potential and the opportunities. If you say no to grade level, to content only, merge them. I remember uh, teaching, I was in a very, very small school and it was a, a one school that uh, where um, I was a, the ninth grade English teacher and I had all the ninth grade students because I was the one and only ninth grade teacher. Mm -hmm. And the teacher across the hall from me was the ninth grade biology teacher. And so she had all the ninth grade students. So we overlapped in students. And we collaborated and designed a unit thinking, well, why do both of these classes have to write a research paper? A research paper in biology, a research paper in English. You don't have to. They're learning the research skills, but we can mesh the, the contents together. So we did some research. We found a, a book, a novel that the kids read, the students read in my class, but it was science-based. So mm -hmm. they talked about the science, the biology of it in, in her class. And we did a combo paper together. It, and it was awesome. Bringing English and science together, break down the barriers. I have fond memories of working with one of my best friends, Jamie Rawson, and then eventually Samantha Bledsoe where they taught English and I taught U.S. history. We had the same students and the projects that we did together because we had the same students where just the collaboration between the, the two content areas and then the the results of that, it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. It was just so, it was so much better than just the standard, you know, research paper or totally. multiple choice tests or whatever it may well, be. Well, right. And I mean, what we also ended up doing was grouping kids together that it wasn't... Um, oh my gosh, awesome memory. Okay, so now I'm thinking about it. It's like these kids, it, it wasn't one paper per student. We actually had them write a col collective, a collaborative research paper. It was, I think we had like groups of three or four, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and again, they, they, col they collaborated, they communicated. It was, it was a, a fascinating opportunity i would love to go back and, and do it again and perfect it and iterate it so awesome yeah. so for the people listening out there yeah where can they find you get a hold of you contact you so they can are maybe we good or so we, we've been really deep we, I this feel is like, this has been a great conversation oh my gosh, so. i feel like we need to lighten the mood up a little bit so, well, let's talk a little bit about where people can contact you. Are yeah. you on Twitter? You got a blog or anything out there that people can contact you on? Uh, I'm like a binge blogger. Sometimes I get in the mood and then that, I think that was like four years ago. <laughs> and then that was it. So no, I don't really blog. Um, I have a website, christinamattis.com. And I'll put that in the show notes for, for everybody. Sure. Um, again, it's not updated Weekly. It's kind of whenever I'm in the mood to write something. And that's something I do miss. So at the beginning of the show, you did ask me what, you know, who am I? 
I really miss writing and creative mm-hmm. writing. And um, so I'm trying to get bring that back into it's my therapeutic, life isn't it? It really is. That's why I get into my blog as much as I do. Okay, so good. I'm going to want to start reading your blog. Apologies that I haven't done that yet. So there is ChristinaMattis.com. I am on Twitter at Christina Mattis. Uh, I'm, again, I've kind of gotten into more of that like binge tweeting. So if I'm at a conference, if I'm speaking, presenting, if I want to highlight somebody, then I'm pretty active. But you'll see me on, on Twitter as well. And um, I think that's, yeah, those are the two main places. But feel free to reach out anytime. And I would love to keep sharing those stir the pot thoughts. Well, in this conversation, we'll be picking up at various conferences. I'm sure we'll cross paths that again very soon. Yeah, so. definitely um, in Palm Springs at Q. Yes, Spring Q. Q. So if you're going to be we'll at Spring Q, Christina is going to be there. For Q Live. Oh, yes, she does host Q Live. So you may, she might be asking you the questions if you get in line for that one. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, This has been a a fascinating experience where I'm usually asking the questions, but for you to ask me the questions has been. Yeah. You asked me the questions at all Q a while back. So kind of, kind of impromptu. Kyle, I need somebody real quick. My (laughs) my person bailed. Can you do it? Yeah, sure. No problem. So it was a good time. So, well, Christina, thank you for coming on. So this was, this was great. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah off the air Absolutely. and at conferences, whatever. And um, everyone else uh, listening, thank you for being around. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So now it is time for our learn about beer segment. And Ben, you came up with a really good one this week. So take it away. <laughs> totally by accident. So so we've been talking a lot about, about different uh, types of beer, things like uh, flavors, stuff like that. And then I think one of the things that you and I've talked a little bit about is that like pairing that beer with food. So, so when you're having a certain beer with a certain meal, like what are some, what are some guides? And so this really comes from the Brewers Association. They have a a great website and they put out a, they put out kind of a chart and we'll have that in the show notes, but they really come up with three kind of like go-tos, um, I wouldn't say they're rules. They're more like principles. They call them basic principles. So their first one is what they say, match strength with strength. So when they're talking about that, they're saying you want to match your strong flavored food with a strong flavored beer, a delicate flavored beer with more of delicate flavored food. And and they have a great chart that kind of goes through and shows you, you know, what, what that particular food could be with that with that beer. Um, their second principle is finding this idea of finding harmonies or or finding just trying to match things. Um, so an example of that would be if you're having a stout, uh, pairing that with something like a dark chocolate. Um, an Oktoberfest lager really goes good with sausages, chicken, uh, maybe beef, something like that. Um, an English. Uh, ale, a brown style ale, um, that would go really good with like a cheddar cheese. Um, and then their third principle that they, uh, they recommend is consider the sweetness, bitterness, carbonation, heat, or what you call spice and richness. So certain, certain qualities of food and interact and, uh, beer interact with each other. Um, and they can enhance flavors or kind of kind of mellow things out. So an example of, of mellowing it out would be if you're having something like a really spicy food, you might want to have a, a beer with more malty sweetness to kind of cool off that spicy food. Or if you want to increase the spice, you could look for something with uh, more hops. So something a little more hoppy will enhance that that spiciness. So those are those are just some of the ways that you can you can think about your beer, think about your food. We'll talk more about um, pairing beer with food as we go on. Um, and that's, that's kind of just an intro. And like I said, we'll have the, we'll have the chart in our show notes. Well, now I have a better idea about why beer goes so well with chicken wings. Well, there you go. So good (laughs) stuff. So, um, well, we're getting close here, but, um, we do want to fill you in on a couple of new developments on our Mm -hmm. end. So, we still have all the ways that you can contact us like we always have had. 
You can email yep. us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. Twitter's a great way to get at us, uh, yep. at beeredupod, and then the hashtag beeredupod. We've also got our Facebook page. And then uh, yep. just a quick reminder to follow Christina on Twitter as well, our guest from today, at Christina Mattis, and that's also in our show notes. Um, but we got a couple new developments here. So another oh, way yes. you can get a hold of us, uh, voice message, you can always do the Anchor app by downloading that and then going to our podcast and sending us a voicemail. Or mm-hmm. we also now have a Google Voice phone number to where you can call yes. and leave us a voicemail. And that phone number is 775-298-6672. So if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, we will definitely include that in a future episode and then we just had really our well she was our second guest uh yeah. sarah holm was our first one christina uh we arranged to have her come on onto this episode but if you are interested in being a guest on our podcast like christina or sarah if you visit our website bit.ly slash beer edu podcast all lowercase which that's actually a new development too we yes. just published our website as well <laughs> So if you click on the contact and subscription info link on the website, there is a form there that you can complete to fill out so you could be a guest on our podcast. So Yeah, and you, and you don't have to, you know, it don't it can just be whatever whatever uh, thing that is that's kind of percolating in your education universe you want to share something about. Yeah, just we'd love to have you. Yeah, so think about some topics you'd like to talk about. Think about a time that you may be yeah. able to meet. Fill out the form, and we'll definitely be in contact with you about being a guest on the podcast. So what do you think, Ben? Well, I think episode 10 will be our next one. and uh, We'll see what that's going to be. Yeah, other than we'll that. Have a, we'll have a guest on the next episode yeah. here. So we'll, we'll go from there. So. All right, so, well, until next time, may the hops. Right on. 